Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're doing news again today because there's another big news drop in the gaming space. Big news. Bungie makes Destiny. They were the original creators of Halo, which is now owned by Microsoft. Microsoft, as you know, recently bought Activision Blizzard. What is Sony going to do? Oh, no. Buy Bungie, Mm. but not Halo. So we're going to break down a little bit what this means for Sony, what it means for the gaming industry at large, this weird interconnected web of gaming studios, how they work together, and if other big tech giants should look for M&A targets in gaming. (laughs) Yeah. Wink, wink. And then we're going to talk about our startup of the day. It's called Metify, and they allow pro gamers to teach newbies one-on-one for an hourly rate. It's very similar to a portfolio company that we'll talk about as well called Blaze. Uh, that does something similar for athletic training. So it's never been a better time to be a creator. And we talk about the entire creator economy and basically the, the this new Mendici effect we're seeing where people can work from home, make a podcast, be a creator, be on Twitch and make tons of money or enough to not go to work. It is a great world. And then finally, we wrap with Shopify CEO Toby Lukey joining Coinbase's board as Coinbase continues to basically staff up for, I don't know, world domination. And, and, and? there are so many interviews coming this week. It's going to be a blockbuster week for this week in startups. It's going to be a great show today. Stick with us. Stick with us. Yes. This week in startups is brought to you by Boast. If you're a startup developing new software or R&D, you may be owed up to $250,000 in cashback from the government. Boast helps you get that money quickly and easily. And the first 50 customers will get 10% off their first year by mentioning promo code TWIST at boast.ai slash twist. Open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back. But using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.co slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. And Real Good Foods is modernizing frozen foods and has become one of the fastest growing brands in the US. Everything Real Good Foods makes is low in carbs, high in protein and made from real food ingredients. Go to realgoodfoods.com and use code twist for 15% off. All right, everybody, let's get to the news. There is a lot of it. More news in the world of gaming. This was actually breaking during the Monday show, and we just could not get to it for obvious reasons. So much news. Uh-huh. But in uh, video game acquisition tit for tat, Sony announced yesterday that it's going to acquire video game developer Bungie for okay. $3.6 billion. Bungie, of course, creators of the popular first-person shooter Destiny, mm. the original makers of Halo... But I am sorry to say, because Halo is my game, I actually got very excited about this and was like, good huh. job. But I had forgotten that like Halo is actually with Microsoft, which we'll get to later. They yeah. don't get Halo, but they do get Destiny. How do we feel about this as a counter to Microsoft's Activision Blizzard purchase? Yeah, I mean, I, I am not a console gamer. I'm a desktop gamer and I play real-time strategy like StarCraft and Age of Empires, old school. Like, oh, I only play games that are 10, 20 years old. Uh, <laughs> and I only play them once in a while. but. I mean, Halo for me. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, kind of similar here. So this does seem to be in the best interest of consumers, which is to say, I love the full stack of you buy this, uh, you know, piece of hardware, you buy a subscription, and they just keep adding stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think if this means when you buy your console, 
and you get your Netflix style, Amazon Prime style subscription, you get more content. Great. I mean, it does make you wonder if these are going to be platform exclusives going forward, or if uh, Microsoft and Sony will take the approach that Microsoft had, which is like, we'll make Office for Mac, we'll make it for PC, mm-hmm. we'll make it for Android. And, you know, Steve Ballmer tried to stop, or I guess he held back uh, Office for iOS and Office for Android so that they could try to do their own operating system. And Satya Nadell, uh, I guess, coming on the show soon. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. He released Office on Android and iOS. And I believe like Microsoft Office is one of the top apps, you know, or some of the top apps in productivity. So I I hope that they make these cross platform. um, And they keep making it for PC and you know, for the other person's platform, but it seems like it's in the best interest of consumers. So Microsoft did say, I think it is especially this exclusive thing. And you know, my my feeling on this is that while I don't think the FTC would necessarily put a stop to these acquisitions, I think they would have some questions. And so Microsoft has already come out and Bungie has already come out saying, we're not going to make the Activision Blizzard games, Microsoft said, exclusive. Bungie said they will not be making Destiny platform exclusive. So I think that is great, but there is going to most likely be some value add that you get for subscribing to, you know, Microsoft uh, Game Pass and whatever the Xbox thing is called now, I think, or PlayStation. Is it just still PlayStation Live? Like, I would imagine they're going to use this to leverage some benefit, but it is, mm. it's interesting as a counter. My brother, who is the actual gamer in the family, I'm like still a relatively casual Halo and Tetris kind of gamer, uh, said, though, that he thought if Sony really wanted to kill Xbox, they should have bought EA. Yeah. That while Destiny is a big deal, it is, it's no Call of Duty, and it might not have gotten them all the way to Unstoppable. And Electronic Arts is still independent. Yep. And they're too big to be bought. I, I mean, think. Sony has the cash. We did <laughs> we did the back of the envelope math over text yesterday. Sony has the cash to do it. That one, I do wonder, though, if it might not be too big to chew off or like big enough that they were worried about, you know, some Snoopy DOJ. Well, like, actually, it's $36 billion yeah. is the market cap today. It's down 2% today. Um, it looks like the stock price has not changed in five years. Uh, it's basically traded in a range of $80 to $140. So it's basically trading at the top end of its range hasn't changed much and a target yeah it feels like a target to me mm-hmm. i wonder if like google um or facebook or or you know amazon or netflix bought electronic arts how that would shake things up you know amazon's got a ton of money netflix has a ton of money netflix could absorb it and then get into the gaming business and when you buy netflix you get all the ea stuff would that be a good move this. I mean, I I wonder why Apple and Netflix have stayed away from games to the extent that they have, particularly mm. when Apple's making this M1 chip that could be running games. Like, I don't really know Clearly. why they have not embraced this industry at all. And Probably I don't because know. they want to stay neutral and have an app store and just take a 30% of everything. Right, exactly. And so then I went and then so they've got that that economic reason, although they are now making their own content right with Apple TV. Yeah, so. so- it seems like they're maybe inching closer and like take advantage of this hardware. They're dipping their toe, right? In. Apple TV. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do we call Apple TV? Because I have Apple TV as the hardware device. And then I've watched shows on Apple TV like Ted Lasso. It's just plus, right? Apple TV plus is so the name of the service confusing. or something. I don't yeah. freaking know. Yeah. Not good at naming. But, <laughs> and then in terms of Netflix, like they've sort of maybe dabbled here and there in gaming, but never really gone mm. there. 
I don't, I, and maybe it was bandwidth constraints initially, right? Initially, it was probably just like, mm. we don't want that streaming burden. We already pay enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would think now it wouldn't be such a big deal. I don't really know. But Netflix mm. has just not seemed interested in that market. And I think it's interesting. Honestly, I think as they start to continue to face the headwinds from HBO and Disney Plus that we've talked about so much and Apple and other streaming services, maybe it'll start to look more attractive. Yeah, I mean, also Google has this, is it Stadia, Stadia? I thought that died. I think they already... Did they Did they kill that already? Google does not. Like, Google keeps never, trying. Never and then they have adopt. something called like play game services, like a subscription service. And I have yeah. Apple games as a subscription service, which when you have kids is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when they go to the app store, it says Google or it says Apple Arcade, and all of those games have the ads and the mana and the upselling for coins taken out of them. And so I just tell my girls, listen, you can have oh, anything maybe, in no, the arcade. I think, I think I'm wrong it. about Google Stadia. It does seem that it still exists. Stadia Pro, according to Forbes, five days ago has a stronger lineup of games in February than mm-hmm. PS Plus. It was maybe that article that made PlayStation go <laughs> by Bungie. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think it's Android based and they have their own is it a hardware device now or no i is think so there's also a piece about a clear stadia controller selling for controller. 370 on yeah. ebay huh i know there's a controller i wonder if they actually have a con i don't think they have a console they don't have a console it's streaming it's just yeah it's streaming so their mm-hmm. bet is that you can stream the stuff from the cloud and put the cpu on the cloud and bandwidth will be good enough hmm yeah I don't, electronic I I don't know has to be in play right I would think, especially now, right? As of mm. yesterday, I would think if EA is not in play, I don't know why. Mm. And they're doing yeah. good content too. They have a friend who um, is a video producer there who did that show that won a bunch of awards, the one about The Sims. Mm. So they're uh, they're dipping a toe into TV and other content production as well. Yeah, I mean, they have The Sims, Command and Conquer, Mass Effect, Madden. Yeah, they, they're, all their sports stuff is really strong. I'm mm-hmm. not a big gamer. I just, you know, you have kids, it becomes kind of hard to. There's only so much time, people. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like when you get, when I play one of these like real time strategy games, like a, a match can take half an hour, an hour. And it's like, unless everybody's asleep in the house and I'm up, I, I can't do it. Right. No. It just doesn't and feel talk about, like. I mean, you think you can lose time quickly on TikTok? Try oh. Halo. Like, you yeah, I mean, down, you could have you a 12 hour playing. session. Yeah. And then boom, it's two hours later and you're like, oh no, no child, no children have eaten. If you're a startup developing new software or investing in R&D, you may be owed up to a quarter million dollars, $250,000 in cash back from the government. But the R&D tax credit program is very complicated. That's why most people don't take advantage of it. It requires a bunch of technical and financial justifications for the IRS. And that's where Boast can help. Boast is a platform that helps startups get cash back from the government. They integrate with over 60 different software providers, which automates document gathering. This helps Boast deliver the fastest IRS compliant R&D tax claim in the industry. Companies like Bevy Labs and Dooley have recovered hundreds of thousands of dollars with Boast over the past few years. So what is the cost? Well, Boast only makes money once you've gotten cash back. If you don't get paid, they don't either. And if you do, they'll take a modest percentage between 10 and 20% depending on the volume of your return. So the upside is free money from the IRS and the downside is no risk. So here's your call to action. The deadline to claim is approaching fast. So contact Boast today. 
The first 50 customer signups will get 10% off their first year filing. Just mention the promo code TWIST. Anyway, I, I think EA is in play. I don't know who would buy them. I, I'm curious about why Netflix has not gone that route at this point with streaming mm. games. But I guess EA, it wouldn't be a good acquisition for them because EA doesn't do a lot of streaming games. They're still console based. And this is a de minimis acquisition. You know, Sony's worth $140 billion. This is $3.6 billion. You know, it's like 1% of the company and it's a game changer. Netflix does have like a Stranger Things game. They're kind of dabbling in taking their IP and making little games out of it that don't exist inside the Netflix app, I think. I think they link you to an app store. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Netflix is going to wind up having, they're clearly thinking about IP with the stuff they're building as opposed to licensing IP. So making games is a way to kind of pull people into that. And I saw LucasArts, uh, launched like three star wars games on the same day so you know disney is really going for it with their gaming stuff so it's it's an it's a no-brainer uh get somebody is. yeah let's start like we need a we need a like a clock you know like a countdown yeah like an acquisition yeah. timer for ea at this point who's it Th gonna be this has got to be a great thing for independent video game studios because as these get acquired you got to think the top people at these companies are going to be like you know what we made our money, we had stock options, whatever, let's go start our own little game studio. And so when people see acquisitions, and they think that's bad for the industry, what they don't realize is the talented people, when these companies get bought, they get so much money that they then have a life choice. Do I want to work at Microsoft or Sony? Or do I want to go be a pirate again and be a rebel and, you know, start a company. So I think what you'll see is a lot of people or super talented leave these big flagships and start the next generation of flagships. So it'll actually wind up being a very vibrant ecosystem, just like all the Google folks left to start the next generation of companies. And now we'll see Airbnb and Uber executives leaving to create the next generation of companies, and so on and so on. That's a great point. I had yeah. not thought of it that way at all. I definitely was like, oh, these companies are so big that they're going to push all the little studios out. But you make a great point about just sort of the, the churn in the industry itself. I mean, yes. granted, that doesn't that doesn't welcome a ton of newcomers necessarily, but it does at least keep the cycle of competition going. It makes people rich who then have, you know, whatever, five, 10, $50 million in their bank account from those sales. And they're like, okay, I don't find meaning being this many steps from the decision maker, right? So mm -hmm. if you were at Bungie or you were at uh, Blizzard, uh, Activision, you might be two or three desks away from or levels away from the decision maker. Yeah. Then you get bought and now you're like six or seven, you know, and you're like a unit within a unit within a unit and then, you know, within a giant company. And you're like, okay, well, I've got this money sitting in the bank and there's four or five other people who do too. We don't need to make a salary for the next three or four years. So let's go start our own company. And then you go to investors and they're like, oh, you don't, you've, you've already built your prototype because you funded it yourself. Great. Yeah, here's 10 million. Go for it. So great point. it's going to be, I think it's going to be great for the industry. Any, any other notes on this uh, deal? I mean, I think the, the only other thing is just sort of fun, which is the, the fascinating intertwining, like how nepotistic this industry is. And then mm. Bungie itself and what a weird ownership history it's had, especially when you consider kind of the, all the Halo drama, right? Which is that in 2000, Microsoft got the exclusive rights to Halo, made it an exclusive. It became this huge hit. Yeah. Kept on failing to make the movie <laughs> that then, was so weird yeah and then bungie in 2007 splits from microsoft becomes its own privately held company called mm. bungie and then independent bungie signed a long-term contract with activision to publish 
Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> and it so, sounds like the Marvel IP. Keep going. It, to- it totally is. Like you need a PhD to understand all yeah. the different uh, ways that these companies are connected. But I bring that up partly because it's super interesting and it's really dishy. And so there was a really funny tweet about it. But also it completely validates your point about all these people who know each other, who mm-hmm. have worked together in some way for years, who built these games together and they were at this company and this company, but it was still the same company and whatever, who you know are going to want to split off and make something new. Mm. Great. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, we'll be waiting for the announcement that Sony spins out Bungie at some point. That's like oh the next, the end game. It's like That's what, yeah, this Blizzard has spun out from Microsoft <laughs> to be its own independent because they weren't getting anything done internally. Well, and when those things happen, what typically happens is whoever did the acquisition uh, then retires. So somebody at Sony retires, somebody at Microsoft retires. So let's say uh, Satya leaves Microsoft, you know, 10 years from now. Somebody else comes in like, you know what, this gaming thing, these units aren't working. Somebody in the unit lobbies them. Hey, can we have our company back? Can we spin it out? And they're like, yeah, sure. This isn't a priority for me. I'm, I'm focusing the company on these three things. And this is the fifth priority. So sure, you can leave. So that's how these things wind up going is when the yeah. top level person leaves, they didn't anoint this deal. It wasn't their deal. They don't want to be defined by it and getting it out of the company becomes like a statement in and of itself, right? Like we're not doing this anymore, which is yeah. what happens to when a movie studio flips over, uh, whoever the previous person running the movie studio or the TV network looks at all the things in production and they're like, my name's not on these things. Mm-hmm. And I have a certain number of slots and bullets that I can fire, I'm not going to take the old guard and make them famous for the show, cancel all that stuff, or, or put it in permanent hiatus. So another studio can't do it and make us look bad. But we're not going to do it because I want to promote my projects. Right? That's what they call production hell in Hollywood. I don't know if that happens in startups. The other and then the final business point, um, or business question I have is whether these acquisitions actually signal a little bit of weakness in console gaming because PC gaming has really been on the rise. And, you know, we talked about like the kids are playing Minecraft. I think Fortnite, although it was also on console, I believe mm. brought a lot of kids to, to PC gaming. And so we polled our live audience on YouTube yes. and asked what console they own. Mm. None was 43%. <laughs> 43% of our audience, at least, owns no console. 30% yeah. of them own PlayStation. 12% own Xbox. 12% own Nintendo Switch. That was, it was 155 votes. Interesting. But it does, that, just that one tiny data point did make me wonder if they, if, you know, Sony and Microsoft are trying to shore up their libraries to make their consoles more appealing. Yeah, and I, I, you have so many other entertainment options and gaming options. I bet you if we put in here, do you do, do, you do PC gaming, right? Because we asked about consoles. Right. PC gaming is another interesting one because I think everybody, I, I bet you our audience, business audience, uh, maybe an, a skewing older audience is just really into PC gaming. Yeah. I feel like the really serious people are into PC gaming and having a keyboard as opposed to a console controller, but maybe I mean, I'm wrong. You think about it now, like, Internet access, like internet's gotten faster for a lot of people, you know, even Xfinity, which like, mm. is evil in a million ways, just keeps m- making the speeds faster, right? So the streaming, if you have broadband internet access, is a lot more possible than it used to be. TVs can do so much, mm. like you can do so much casual game streaming through a television with casting or other technologies. And it does make me wonder if making the investment in a console is still worth it, although we did just buy the new Xbox. 
Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. They put it on company documents. They use it for sales calls and more. And that makes everything messy. You don't know who's calling a sales prospect or somebody from your kid's school. Should you pick up? Should you not? Well, Open Phone helps you create business phone numbers for you and your team. And it's so easy to use. It works through an app on your smartphone or your desktop. So there's no need to carry two phones like I did back in the day, and I kind of still do. There's always a backup. Just pick a number, install the app, and you're done. And here's a feature I love. You know how you can create a shared email for customer support, right? You create support at your domain name. Well, now you can have a shared phone number with multiple employees fielding calls and texts. So you can put on your website or your social media, call us and talk to a sales rep. Call us and talk to customer support or customer success. How amazing is that? And what if you could do it super affordably and easy and control it through a nice web interface? Well, my team is using OpenPhone now for this exact reason. And it's amazing for us to do support for the syndicate.com as but one example. So here is your call to action. Open phone is already super affordable. It's as low as 10 bucks a month for a user. It's basically free when you think about it. So Swiss listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for your first six months by signing up at openphone.co slash twist. And if you have existing business numbers with another service, well, they can port them over for free. No problem. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. So head over to O-P-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot C-O slash twist today. Okay, great job, Open Phone. Love the product. Oh, you did buy the new Xbox? Yeah. yeah. What do these things go for now? Are they 500 wanted, bucks or something? I wanted Halo. No, I mean, that the new one whose name I can't even remember, it's like the Xbox X and the X Plus, is, um, was like 300 bucks. Oh, that's pretty affordable. Yeah, it was, it was inexpensive. It was enough to be like, let's go to Best Buy and get it. I want Halo. I bought my wife a new iPhone Max and I was like, I'm going to get her the largest memory because, you know, because I do tech support. And, right. You know, and I would like, say about $9,000. Come on, Apple. $1,500. Yeah, I was insane. like, what? Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I think that I, I was like, did I put two in the basket by accident? I literally thought for a second, did I put two of them in there or something? And it was $1,499 or $1,599 for the two terabyte or maybe it was one terabyte. And because I would say a third of problems when I do tech support are memory, a third are connectivity and a third are other you know like rebooting right. memory whatever errors so i mean I like, i'm holding on to my iphone with my cold dead hands at this point like i'm not how old is yours that is absurd i mean i'm on the 12 i have the iphone 12 mini mm. but i'm I like i'll skipping... replace that i'm to the point now where i mean it is it is not an easy like an impulse you know you're not just going to upgrade because it's about 700 bucks and that's what you paid before which was already absurd but you at least you're used to paying it now i'm like i'll replace the freaking battery in this thing i'm calling the genius bar because bluetooth won't work like it's not a mindless i agree with you now like i used to always tell everybody like listen it's it's a thousand bucks it's 800 bucks you trade it in you get half the money back i would literally get the newest one every year Mm -hmm. and i would be like Listen, I, I, it's a, if it's nine hundred bucks and I'm getting four hundred bucks back, it's five hundred a year for a phone. It's a buck fifty a day. I'm on this thing a couple hours a day. It's worth it to have the best one. And I, listen, I'm, I'm in the tech business. I need to be on the best one. Yeah, I agree. I'm now looking at it, going, uh, maybe I get six more months out of this, <laughs> and it's not four dollars a day. Yeah, because I, I now we're at like if you were if you were to get five hundred bucks back and it was a thousand dollars and you replace it every year. It's three dollars and change a day, or maybe it's three bucks a day. Yep. Still a pretty good deal, but and when it starts to be fifteen hundred bucks, and also you start to consider, like, if mm. you like me have started to have a little more awareness of the impact on the environment every time you get rid of a phone. Yeah. I mean, at least now they're taking them back and they might recycle yeah. them. But 
every time I buy a new one, that's a phone they have to make with cobalt and nickel and rare earth. You know, it's like a lot of materials yeah. go into that that aren't like, I don't mean to be environmental buzzkill over here, but it, but I, you those know, I do two th- considerations yeah. together have definitely yes. made me pause a lot more. I, and you know what? It sounds silly as well, but I'm also like, and these goddamn boxes, like why Apple do I have to get a giant expensive paper plastic wrap box? I don't care about the unboxing experience. Right. Like literally they should just come in a, a little sleeve that protects it made out of paper. Mm-hmm. They should have 50 of them stacked in a tiny box and forget about these goddamn boxes, everybody. So true. I if know I, that Steve Jobs. If I pick it up, just put it in a paper bag, man. Like, yeah, we're done here. Like, just <laughs> hand it to me. I don't need my toothpaste is in a tube. And every I don't need a box part of it, around it with right. plastic around that. Every single part of it has plastic around it. Every part. <laughs> like, come on. It's I know. I mean, the packaging so situation annoying. with Apple in particular is like, at this point, like, come on. You know what? And Apple's so full of BS uh, mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, and by the way, I'm uh, Tim Cook on the roof of this $6 billion building. We just did something for you. We're not giving you a charger anymore because we know you have one. It's better for the environment. And I'm like, but you're still putting it in a giant freaking box wrapped in plastic, wrapped in plastic inside with layers. And a, like, who wants the manual? Have you ever looked at any no. of the paperwork in your phone? No. Right in the garbage. They all do the same thing. You transfer right over the, the information. It's an identical phone. Like, come on. It's so dumb. They should yeah, literally I totally agree. This is a message to Tim Cook. Mm-hmm. Two types of ordering. You can order unboxed and you, and you get $10 in credits in the app store. Boxed, you don't get the $10. Love right? it. Right? Yeah. Now Love you're, it. it's costing you seven. That $7 goes to app developers. Just give me a $10 credit on my phone for some app store stuff and we're good. Yeah. And the same thing is for app. I don't know if you started doing this on Amazon. Did you say you could pick a prime day? You can you know pick a this? delivery day and then you get a credit. Yes. Yeah. So that or, you no, 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 no. There's that, which is like bundle it and they'll give you a dollar mm-hmm. in like digital credits. There's another thing they're doing, which is called prime day. You pick what day of the week you want to get a big box from Amazon and mm-hmm. everything you order gets bundled by default into that box. Kind of cool. That's good. I like that. Yeah, because the, 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 when I, I have too many boxes. Yeah. It's, it's really so annoying. I mean, it's really interesting. There's just there's been this rising conversation about the idea of circularity, a circular economy, which is how does stuff go back in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does it get recycled at the end of life? Is there a way to dispose of it that doesn't make me feel like an asshole as a consumer? Mm-hmm. And what's driving that obviously is like, Sure, money and packaging is a hugely like cost intensive part of production, but also consumers like us being like, hey, it's crappy customer service. If you leave me with a pile of trash that fills up my tiny little California can or that I can't recycle, which is unacceptable. Like, I just think it's so interesting as a consumer proposition for us to be like, everybody has to do my move. This is my move. This is my little silent protest I've been doing for years. I go to the apps, Apple store. Yeah. I buy whatever I'm going to get. I unbox it in the store. I put the yeah. entire MacBook Detrius there. I unpack my iPhone. I leave it on the counter. And the w- person's like, oh, you forgot your box. I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, you could throw that away. <laughs> I don't need it. And I leave it there. That is so smart. <laughs> it is such a power move because Everyone literally do they don't know what to do. 
So here is your protest, everybody. So good. That's so good. Every time you go to the Apple store, I want you to unbox everything. And if you bought six things, unbox all six things because they love that place to be clean. <laughs> and leave it all over them. You know, like put it where the watches are. Because that's a beautiful stand, you know, when yeah. they have all the watches laid out, just cover everything. And all that, all that trashy little plastic, just like, we're, we're, we're on so yes, good. Yes, the film, like the film on the camera, the, you oh, know, yeah. I, I do this literally every time. They look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, well, uh, oh, okay. Oh, that's incredible. So I chose violence. Yep. That's my own little social <laughs> protest. It's freaking beautiful. Freaking beautiful. It does work. It, it literally works. It's all, look, consumers still have a lot of power and this is take, if, you, you got to use it every way you can to make this stuff. However, I will say that the chat pointed out that there are laws, I believe, maybe not everywhere. I lost this comment because it's going so fast. Yeah. That say that Josh Galt says it's law that a manual has to accompany an electronic device. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it could still be that they could get, get rid of this, all the, the other option. packaging. They give you the option. I like the option. Would you like? frustration free packaging mm -hmm. or would you like to be frustrated or would you like the packaging right. so when you go to the store for the most popular items they should just hand it to you and like you i love the idea of like a little paper nice little easy bag. to rip i mm -hmm. you open it up and your unboxing is the experience of like opening up a chocolate bar right make it like opening up the golden ticket chocolate bar yeah because you know apple can make it pretty they can come up with a way can. to make it beautiful and it makes the it feel sound. good. Make it that paper that dissolves in water. Like, do you know. Or, or, or the sound, the nice crisp sound of ripping, you know, nice parchment paper. Yes. That would be so nice. I Tim love Cook. that. Yep. Come hey, on, you know, Tim we got Cook. a startup of the week. This, the show is this week in startups. We talk about all these big companies, but I said to the production team, our producers, get us some startups. So they found a great startup. I am fascinated by this one. Let me tee it up for you, Molly. Uh, we have a startup of the day and we're going to try to do this every day. Mm -hmm. It won't succeed, but if we can do it three or four days a week, that'd be great. So this startup is called Metafy, M-E-T-A-F-Y. And they do live coaching, not for math, not for race car driving or tennis or golf. We've seen those things before. What they're doing is one-on-one -on -one live coaching for video games, which I need because, you know, I... I'm trying to get better at some of these new games and I, I, I don't want to play Fortnite and then with one of my nephews or nieces or something get demolished. Mm -hmm. I would pay 50 bucks, 25 bucks an hour to have somebody just level me up very quickly. So they connect gaming coaches to those who want to learn how to get better with games like Starcraft all the way to sports betting, which is super cool. I yep. am going to get Starcraft 2 coaching. I am signing up for this. And I can't wait to, because I only play Protoss. I don't play any of the other ones. I don't read the manual. I just have a good time. Mm -hmm. And I stay in the Silver League and I'm, I'm happy. But they this make money by charging students a 5% fee, not by taking a cut of the coach's huh. uh, income, which is kind of nice. Interesting. Well, and also that incentivizes, I mean, it's, they're talking about getting coaching from pro gamers. So there's that benefit too, which is like you can sign up to literally see the person that you watch in an esports tournament maybe coach you. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. in you know certain communities <laughs> who are really 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 into gaming and literally yeah. that know the names of esports players which you know i shouldn't laugh i mean a lot of us know the name of i mean we all know ninja like there's some yeah. that everybody knows dream um this before i get to this actual startup though this made me think of another reason why a you would want to do this and why pc gaming i think has been on the rise and that is streaming so mm. everybody wants to be twitch streaming 
and it's it. so much easier on a PC than it is on a console. And so I think that that has probably also driven people to PC gaming and also would drive them to want to do this because when you're streaming, yes. if you're streaming onto YouTube or you're streaming onto Twitch, Ooh. you do not want you to suck? get killed over and over and over. Ooh. Don't be a Jerry. They will destroy you. We all know how hard it is to eat healthy when you're working crazy hours. But thankfully, Real Good Foods is working hard to help. They make nutritious foods more accessible to improve your health. And they're one of the fastest growing frozen food brands in the US. I've tried their foods. They're amazing, delicious, really well done. In fact, they just went public back in November under the ticker symbol RGF. So congrats to the team over there on their IPO. And they make all the food you love. Italian entrees, pizza, Mexican breakfast sandwiches. I've had the pizza. Very good. All 100% grain-free, low in carbs, and high in protein. You know that whole thing that makes you lose a little bit of weight and a little bit healthier. I'm doing it. It's working. And it's all made from real food ingredients. Real Good Foods is perfect if you're trying to cut back on those carbs like I am. Or get more protein from real food which I'm also trying to do. Maybe you're just trying to eat healthy in general. And this is a great option as opposed to maybe, you know, ordering something in that's not as good for you. So they are now available in the freezer sections at Costco, Walmart, Target, and most grocery stores nationwide. And a big goal of theirs is to support food banks across the U.S. by donating 1 million nutritious meals. So here's a call to action for you. Go to realgoodfoods.com and use the code TWIST for $15 off. Learn more about Real Good Foods at realgoodfoods.com and follow them on social, Real Good Foods, at Real Good Foods. Great job, Real Good Foods. Really enjoyed the product. This is a very significant raise. They're calling it a Series A, $25 million. It was led by Tiger Global. So that means I would put the value of this company at $125 million after the $25 million was put in. So this is my guess. I don't know the valuation. But if it's a Series A, the investors probably want to own 20%. So 20 per, 25 million, 20%, you know, would be $125 million total value. So 100 pre, company's worth 100 million, you put the 25 million in, now the company has 25 million in their bank account. The value of the company, 100, the value of the $25 million, still $25 million, $125 million is what I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexis O'Hanian, a friend of the pod, co-founder of Reddit, co-founder of Initialized Capital, who now has his own firm called 776 was also, uh, I guess, leading the round with Tiger, according to our notes. A lot of angel investors in there, like our friend Naval from AngelList, Steve Galanis uh, from Cameo, who's been on the pod. They're putting a million dollars toward a fund that will invest over the next 24 months into tournaments and stuff like that. So that's great. Josh Fabian is the uh, uh, founder. And uh, here's a quote from uh, Crunchbase. I guess Crunchbase now competes with TechCrunch to cover startups. It's kind of funny. Uh, Mm. They spun Crunchbase out of TechCrunch. I've been pretty honest about how I feel about venture capital. And generally, it's not good. (laughs) Tiger uh, gives me access to capital and they stay the bleep out of my way. Mm. So I guess this is part of the whole anti uh, venture capital, which is kind of silly, to be honest, like venture capitalists are overwhelmingly supportive and awesome. And so, you know, for the, the bad behavior by venture capitalists or the annoying behavior of venture capitalists is like less than 10%. Mm-hmm. I would argue, actually, <laughs> since I've been on both sides of the table, that I would say 
bad behavior by founders slightly more than bad behavior by venture capitalists. Yeah, yeah. On a percentage basis. I mean, um, I, look, I it seems to me I could understand why in a hot market, a super competitive market where you're like, I can raise money this way or that way or yeah. a DAO or this or that, that like there's there's increasing. It seems to me that there is increasing resentment about the idea of the ownership, right? Taking ownership of the bit. company, yeah. which like, okay. When the market crashes and there's no other way to make money, exactly. like you'll, you know, I, I, I to me, this is it's this peak market sentiment behavior. is a side effect of yes, and also the idea that that startup founders feel like they have been pushed to make business decisions that they might not have otherwise made, so that the venture capitalists can get these big returns. Yes, these are all true statements, and 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 the year the year of end word of um, the year 2022 22 but here's the thing you're absolutely right this is peak market behavior when people either don't you know raise at high levels are nagging venture capitalists or generally um blowing through money you know like drunken sailors mm-hmm. um it's a peak market and you know this kind of entitlement you know in, in uh josh's statement here i'm not saying he's an entitled person but it's a, it's a little obnoxious as a comment and a little it sounds a little entitled it's kind of a bad look um you know if he needs money it's you know uh he's certainly going to go to venture capitalists to get it like if the company needed to get a bridge or something but here's the truth if you really don't like venture capitalists and you don't like going fast and you like going slow and methodical build off revenue yeah build totally. a bootstrap business that is an option yeah. our friend alex who had a really good uh mm-hmm. appearance mm-hmm. last week alex mm-hmm. is great at Hashtag alex ramen. yeah hmm. <laughs> he tweeted uh metify raised 25 million cool company would have loved it when i was less okay with being terrible at games yeah that is true it makes childhood me happy that games are no longer this thing that only we nerds do but something that everyone can enjoy well 100 percent agree i think that's totally true and also and? i would say i think there's a bigger business story here too that we shouldn't forget like this isn't just about making people able to have more fun when they're mm-hmm. playing games like let's go back to the part where this uh company is also going to put this capital to invest into competitive tournaments and other mm-hmm. gaming community events this is about creating future creators right, right. it's about growing the entire streaming gaming ecosystem yeah. So that these these people who are learning how to play games better from pros can become pros or at least start that is making the promise, money right? off of of and that that is what like if I were looking at this, I'd be like, well, that's cool. You can learn how to be a better gamer. But like, how are you going to make a billion dollars? See, I'm learning there you go. the way you make a billion dollars is that you start to create a bigger and bigger and bigger gaming ecosystem yeah. so that grow more people want to do this. You grow the pie. But this is a, this is actually fundamentally a gaming and a creator economy story, I think. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, there, that is the dream for a lot of young folks. They want to be YouTubers. They want to be Mr. Beast or they want to be Ninja. They want to be able to make money off of this. And let's face it, even if you make but, you know, three or $4,000 a month, it's, it's enough if you are living not in a major city to sustainably live by playing games. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we talk about, oh, wh- what are people going to do for a living? The fact that there are so many streamers or people on Cameo, or people on YouTube, or people doing podcasts that are making enough money to survive. It's mm-hmm. almost like um, the Mendici family, you know, in Florence. Like we have this new Mendici kind of effect where people are able to do art, be able to pursue their passion, whether it's a podcast or being, uh, you know, a TikTok entertainer, a comedian, somebody who does impersonations, um, somebody who does video games and streaming. And you can kind of make enough to exist as that artist. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? 
That actually is such a nice way to put it. Like it really, yeah. we're like that. There are patrons. I mean, that's the patrons. idea that Patreon is built on. Yes. But also, there are patrons that come in all kinds of different forms. And it's, I mean, you look at like China actually has uh, perfected and really advanced this kind of digital mm. creator economy with purchasing digital goods, giving gifts, yes. you know, tipping creators and live streamers and i do think that it is just becoming bigger and bigger and it is kind of a nice way to look at it that like yeah there are lots of ways for you to have a job that might not have traditionally been considered a job and these streamers aren't just in some cases making a pretty good living like they're making a lot remember when there was and, the twitch hack and all of the salaries were leaked like the amounts yeah, that some streamers of them are were making, making six figures like they're making more than oh, they would if they had a law degree several uh, are making i'd say at least 10 or 15 are making seven Figures. Yeah, I mean, so put, put, even just taking those out, you know, you start to have this like, you know, how they talk about the long tail. Yeah, I think there's like this fat middle that's emerging, right? And the fat yes. middle is like, I don't need to get a job. And the long tail is I have spending money. And the top fat part of the tail, you know, the oh, the yeah, the top of the tail is people who are like, you know, millionaires. But I just think they were increasingly making this middle part that mm -hmm. is you know, okay, well, yeah, I, I have enough money to live doing this. It's pretty freaking compelling, I have to say. It and is I, really. I, and also, next time yeah. you're on a podcast where someone uh, is talking about how people just don't want to work anymore, the mm. fact is people have a lot of options to work in a lot of better ways yes. that are very fulfilling. I mean, the, the comparison to the, I think it's the Medici's yeah. in Italy, but the, that comparison is really apt, right? If you can yeah. do this as opposed to getting yelled at in a restaurant behind a counter, or yeah. driving a truck, you're going to do this. And increasingly, that's going to be an option, but it's not going to show up in the jobs report. It's not going to show up no, as I mean, employment. I, I don't think OnlyFans is showing up in the jobs report or Twitch streamers, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, putting all judgments aside of how you feel about adult workers or whatever. Um, but, you know, if, if you just look at it, you're, you're right that those don't show up. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, these folks uh, could also maybe do DoorDash two days a week and make some money from that and do streaming for three days a week. Yeah. All of these put pressure on the people who have arduous jobs to pay a fair price for the pain of having to pack boxes at an Amazon warehouse yep. every day. And, or like you're saying, having a, a, a bad boss and that's good for the economy. We have an investment in a company. I'll just give a shout out to them. Blaze, B-L-A-Y-Z-E dot I-O. We can pull it up on the screen and they're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, not for video games, uh, but this will blow your mind. Uh, they're doing, they have coaches now uh, across soccer, basketball, you know, karting, motorcycle, car racing, all these different things. And what's great about it is, you know, uh, uh, when I met the founder, car racing is extremely expensive. Car racing is like, mm -hmm. you know, $5,000 to have somebody go out with you for the weekend and make you better at it. But you can videotape, you're videotaping your car racing anyway. They can give you tips for, you know, whatever, 200 bucks. And they can draw on the video and you kind of get it like email, you know, asynchronously. Yep. And um, the person who's the coach doesn't have to drive to your, you know, racetrack, spend a week with you. So there, there's kind of like this is happening all over the place. I mean, I just think that we are so everybody we're like right now, our society is like proto Neo in the Matrix, right? Like we are so yes. close to being because if you need to know something at this point, that thing is on YouTube. Or that thing 100%. is on a coaching app. Like, we're all just, I mean, we talk about the future of work. And I think actually I that our startup to. of the day, Medify, that's an investment in the future of work, even though it sounds like a video game startup. 
Yeah. But the future of education is what we should really be talking about, because like, what are you going to learn at school at this point when you can practically jack it into the back of your head? I know Kung Fu. Yeah. I mean, it literally is like that. Uh, anytime I have a problem with a device, I don't even like when I, I was just unpacking a humidifier because it's up in the mountains and it's dry air. And I was like, OK, I'm going to try to set this up just, you know, by looking at it. And then I was just like, I typed the name of the company, you know, set up on YouTube. Boom, there's a video. I go yeah. to that video. I put it on 2x speed. because You can do that now on YouTube. And I just watch this person set it up while I set it up. I didn't even look at the manual. And then you have a problem with your dishwasher or whatever device it is. You just type it into YouTube. Somebody has made a video where they were frustrated by something, spent two hours, figured it out, and then they shared it in 90 seconds. And now totally. you're done. It's so great. Totally. And that's, you know, I mean, just the how-to category on YouTube, like the idea, I mean, my boyfriend built me this studio that you mm -hmm. see right now, had never yes. built a thing, built an entire room, mm. like electrical, got some help with drywall, you know, and now is like, I'm going to build a sauna. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Okie dokie. There will be 10 to 20,000 videos on YouTube that on are, you know, or 200,000 videos on how to build a sauna. So I just, I like. I find it all so fascinating in terms of creating options. Somebody in the chat was like, UBI incoming. Why would it? Why would yeah, it have why? to come? You can now make a job out of any freaking thing on the internet. Yeah. It's amazing. Find your passion. Yeah. UBI is like, I, I, we, we had a giant, you, listen, I don't have a problem with, you know, people who are having a tough time getting unemployment or whatever. What I would say about UBI is we had an experiment for the last two years in some cases that was UBI-esque or adjacent. Right. Uh, and what happens when money drops from the sky and people have nothing to do? Like, eh, things get weird. They start buying NFTs, you know, yeah. uh, or people start buying drugs and overdose or, you know, people need to have meaning and purpose in life. And that's the problem I have with UBI is, okay, what's your purpose? Why do you get out of bed? And not everybody, but we all have people in our lives who, you know, maybe they had a trust fund or something or they had like money gifted to them do they are they happy in life do they have purpose do they wake up every day and are they happy maybe not you know uh, maybe yeah. not i didn't really mean to start a ubi conversation I, I think that's sort of yeah. true i think there are people who won't want to i think we probably need a baseline of support what we did see also during the pandemic in our great ubi experiment is like child hunger in the united states was cut yes. in half right yes, that was great I mean, so there were some really true and people were like, wow, I'm able to pay my rent. And because I have a baseline of support that keeps me in my house, mm. I can get a job where yes. previously I was too unstable to get a job. So like there's pros and cons, obviously. But I guess what I mean to say is that it has always been the way of America and humans to create more work. Right. Yes. Like, of course, so we have this big freak out about which is you know we're like the what's gonna happen when robots take jobs exactly yeah. and ai takes jobs and whatever it and it's like oh jobs. people are gonna make money playing video games you could argue about the, the pros and cons of that for sure but people are finding like the river finds a way exactly and like as but one example uh I, you know i'm a big knickerbocker fan i love my knicks and uh my fan cp the franchise a uh, franchise created knicks fan tv on youtube after every game and then once a week, and when there's breaking news, he talks about the Knicks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has a community just like we do here uh, on YouTube. And I've met all these friends, and they have this, like, super chat feature. We don't turn it on here because we have advertising. We don't need the money. But uh, where you can double-click and give, and people give him super chats while he's talking. And he reads the super chats for five bucks. But when the Knicks win, I'm so happy that he does this. Probably 20 times a year, I give him 50 or 100 bucks. 
Now, like I'm giving him a thousand dollars probably a year. And I look at it as I'm a patron. Mm-hmm. If I went to dinner, uh, that would be what this would cost me. And I'm getting as much entertainment as going out to dinner. I, I just want to see him keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's other people like Chuck D, the, the famous uh, rapper, musician. He gives 25 bucks, 50 bucks, you know, every other game. And we're just trying to keep this guy doing it, right? And hopefully he'll be able to quit his job. And then we have this incredible Nick show that we get to watch. Yep. And there's got to be another 20 or 30 fans who put up $2 to $20 uh, tips as well. So I, I got to think he's making a thousand, maybe 500 to $1,000 every episode with 80 games a year. You know, okay, we're, maybe we're getting there. Maybe we're getting to 40 grand or 60 grand, you know, which is, you know, I don't know, enough for somebody to quit their job, but getting close. Yeah. Monetize your interests, everybody. Okay. We've got right, another story here meeting coming up. So let's keep yeah, talking let's tech this. news. Yeah. Uh, the latest, this is just sort of interesting and also a very 2022 sentence. Coinbase added Shopify CEO Toby Lukey to its board, which is interesting for lots of reasons. Uh, Coinbase founder and CEO Brian Armstrong announced the appointment saying Toby's experience as a founder and CEO, scaling his business from a small niche online marketplace into what has become a critical backbone of global e-commerce will help guide Coinbase as we seek to bring crypto to more people and businesses around the world. That's great. We have seen this before. Zuckerberg you know, had Mark Andreessen famously on the board, who is a founder who turned into a venture capitalist. Peter Thiel on the board, founder you know, of PayPal, who turned into a venture capitalist. And then he also added the DoorDash CEO, I think, to the board, Tony. Mm-hmm. And I think he already had the Dropbox. Did he, ha- did he have Dropbox uh, CEO Drew Houston on the board? So anyway... If you're the founder of a company and you want to have like really good discussions around your board, like capital allocators are great. Capital allocators or previously founders have both. And then people who are at scale, it's pretty great. Uh, The one thing I will say about this is it's going to be a lot more men on boards. uh, I was was a lot of white men said it. I was like, do they have any ladies on that board? But probably not. Brian's reputation is. Here's the thing. The in the. in the, if you look at diversity, uh, let's just take gender as, as one portion in Silicon Valley, it's gotten a lot better over the last 10 years. Everybody would agree. The number of companies being led by women is just exploded. That being said, um, there is a trailer here, which is if you're only going to pick people who've been on public boards or whatever, you know, there is a trailing 10 year, 20 year lag, just like there are for venture funds. Mm-hmm. So I always encourage people when they're looking at diversity statistics, you have to look at the number and the percentage of people who've been funded recently, not just the dollar amounts, right? Because the dollar amounts are trailing indicators, right? That's which companies survive, which means which companies are 10 plus years old. And so, you know, in this case, I think if you're only going to pick CEOs, of successful public companies, it's going to look like 20, 2005 to 2010 or earlier. So you're not going to have as much diversity. I would say, I think the other aspect of this that I find interesting is that, uh, you know, I waded into this once on Twitter. I don't think we've had a full fledged conversation about crypto targeting men so specifically as its primary audience and demographic, right? Not even targeting, but like, Crypto, it, it's basically Are they targeting like, it or is it just turned out that way because well, they were I like think it's this turned underground out that a lot of like group. dudes are into it, right? I mean, yeah. there's the crypto bro concept. And then there was a Twitter thread that I jumped in on that was basically like everybody I'm talking to in the crypto space is going into go is heavily 
uh, targeting sports marketing, mm. which is code for looking for men, right? Like, <laughs> I'm a huge sports fan and also a longtime business journalist. And if yeah. you say that you're going to sports marketing, like this was around the time of the crypto.com arena name change. Yeah. And so it's sort of like it, there's clearly a target demo here that is well-defined, but potentially I I it out. limiting. It's limiting. I think it might not be as nefarious as you think. I don't or think it's, it's nefarious at all. Oh, okay. I think no, it's no, horribly. No. Actually, now that I realize it, it is horribly nefarious. You know what's happening? What? It's crypto is more analogous to gambling than it is to startup investing or investing in stocks, mm-hmm. right? So if that's the case, who bets on sports? That's overwhelmingly a male behavior, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe women are too smart to waste money. I, you know, maybe they think about the long-term consequences of things. I don't know the, you know, Darwinian nature of why men are so apt to gamble versus women, mm-hmm. but that's what that that's what this indicates to me in terms of why crypto is so appealing to men or why they might be doubling down and advertising to men right and then you do start to get without a doubt right then you start to get a population like you start to get behaviors i would say that like at this point seven out of the ten rando trolls who show up have dot eth as their display name like you start to get toxic in in pockets there are are toxicity pockets it can be incredibly toxic there's no doubt and so then you have this like kind of crypto bro culture and it gets perpetuated and the more like dudes you add to your board the more you continue to perpetuate that culture and listen I'm not so much complaining about the culture as I am pointing out that as a business strategy it's limiting right there's only if you can't grow beyond a certain population, yeah. when you are claiming that you're going to decentrify, decentralize, and revolutionize finance, like it's a it's a narrow lane. There was uh, at that famous Bitcoin conference in 2021. There was a dude, uh, and let, let me say that whole conference was dudes <laughs> on stage. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I, it, it might have been literally like. 97 percent dudes based on what i saw somebody could fact check me on that one but they have this concept of being a bitcoin maximalist Mm -hmm. and then they have a subset of that which is a smaller subset for sure which is bitcoin toxicity Hmm. and what that doctrine states and it is a doctrine um and this guy nick zm kind of explained it and he explained toxic maximalism is important for the survival of bitcoin that you have to attack anybody who attacked bitcoin yes and that is like really gross um and that's why they create all of these anonymous accounts that are under a year old that have no followers but that follow 100 people um who will reply to you if you say anything negative about bitcoin the explicit strategy in this group of people Mm -hmm. is to reply to you and say have fun being poor okay boomer whatever uh or attack your physical look like they did for me. <laughs> um, this is before I lost the weight. Um, and uh, it was, you know, they're like, you're fat, you're old, you're dumb. Have fun mm-hmm. being poor. And I'm like, mm, I'm not poor. I own over a million dollars worth of Bitcoins. I'm just saying like, there could be another technology that would be better than Bitcoin. And like when I took that position, which is a really strong position, like all technology gets replaced with better technology. Yeah. Bitcoin will be replaced at some point. There's a 100% chance of that with a better technology. All you have, the bet you're making is when that happens. Is that going to happen in five years or 15 years? But yeah, it's between those two numbers in my mind. Ethereum. Yeah. 
it's between those two numbers, right? Like p- pick a technology, like almost all of them get replaced or commodified or commodified within yeah. five to 15 years yeah. with very rare exceptions, you know? And yep. so anyway, I agree with you. It's pretty toxic. But all that being said, uh, back Not to, to this take story. take anything away from Toby. <laughs> no, the, I don't think either of these guys are toxic. Right. I, I, I actually, I, we never talked about the uh, Coinbase, don't bring your... I wasn't here then. You weren't here back then, but that would have been an explosive discussion because I was kind of like, I kind of agree that like for startups, it's kind of important that they don't take on every single issue and coinbase has objectively done much better since they said do not bring social issues to work as a business mm-hmm. now is that good for society or not that's a whole nother story but right. you know i know it's hard I, i'm not saying people i think his i i love the fact that brian did not apologize double down and just said listen don't work here um and yeah. it's kind of worked well if you actually care about social justice issues like don't go work there. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about it. Right. He created a filter for he sure. Created a filter. Right? He set the tone of the culture and gave yep. the employees an op- option to leave, and they were in a market where people had plenty of options. So, like, and he gave them you. huge severance. He gave right. That and was the power move. You do you. You're the CEO of a private company. You can absolutely do that. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And I, to me, that is exactly though the kind of it just raises the same question for me, which is: Do you want your audience to get bigger or not? Do you want your customer base to get bigger? Do you want mm. maximum hiring options? And do you want maximum customer possibility no. or not? And, and so the answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is a, is a hard right. no. Like we, we want people to work here who care, who are obsessed with the global financial system. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what he said. Yeah. You know, and like, so if you care about those things, like just not the guy to work for. I mean, yeah. props for being honest, man. Love it. Uh, I think right? like, don't make people move. guess. Don't make don't people, make people guess. guess. I only have five minutes and I do okay. not want to cut this short because this story is That's amazing. That's such a good story. We'll do that. We'll Let's tease ahead. All right. Here's what happened. It was 2010. Twitter was a new thing. The iPad was coming out. Everybody knew it was coming out. I had uh, a three-month-old, no, two-month-old, uh, you know, <laughs> in the room next door. And uh, it was like two in the morning and you know, I was changing diapers or whatever <laughs> in LA. I was sitting there in bed with my wife and I was on this Twitter thing. And uh, I was like, I'm going to tell everybody that I have the iPad that's coming out tomorrow at this keynote because everybody knew it was coming out at the keynote. That, had, that much had leaked. And I proceeded to describe the iPad that Steve Jobs had given me under NDA and that at midnight, the NDA ended so I could talk about it. Uh, because they had, I think I said like they made a mistake on the NDA. They put the 26th or whatever. And I described a product that could not possibly exist in 2010, which is it had two cameras on it. The battery lasted like three days. It had, it was powered by solar power. All of them connected together in a mesh network to create a free internet access for everybody globally. Uh, <laughs> and that it had a DVR that could store like a hundred hours. And it had an AI assistant. You could talk to it. <laughs> this was long before Siri. And I came out with the most ridiculous tech specs that would have drained a battery in 2010 in 15 minutes. And that had an HD tuner in it. So you could, and it recorded like every state. Anyway, it was like a crazy spec. And like, I just thought it was so obvious that this was a joke. Um, Especially because I said it had um, fingerprint security on it, (laughs) which didn't (laughs) exist at the time. (laughs) And that it 
had um, essentially like thumb pads on it where it was like Nintendo we like and you could play Farmville. And I was playing Farmville over it and the farms would go over three or four iPads and you could build a you could put four iPads together and make a giant farm. And it would like, you know, do it at the bezel or whatever. I, I just came up with the most absurd specs. And then I fell asleep. And then I fell asleep. <laughs> and my wife goes, do, do you think you should really do that? <laughs> you might piss off Steve like, Jobs. Your phone is on fire and I'm not sure why. Beep, 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 beep. I woke up in the morning. I kid you not with a hundred phone calls and text messages and insanity. And we will tell that story on tomorrow's show. See you then. Bye bye. Stick around. Stick bye. around. It's insane. <laughs> Rachel reporting here on February 14th and 15th, we'll be hosting Founder University Intensive. This is a two-day program for founders. Now, this course is only open to women founders. We'll be hosting a course open to everyone on May 9th and 10th. You can apply for both at founder.university. And applications for the longer 12-week Founder University program are due on February 14th, and you can also apply for those at founder.university. Follow Jason and Molly on Twitter, at Jason and at Molly Wood. If you're not a boomer and prefer TikTok, search for This Week in Startups to find the fan account at this underscore week underscore in underscore startups. And our official account at TWI Startups. But honestly, the fan account is way better than ours. And if you're still not tired of hearing from Jason six days a week, you can hear him read his book, Angel, at angelthebook.com slash audible.